great day to be in God's house. I mean, we could not have asked for better weather for our picnic. I mean, it, this week, the weather has been horrible, has it not? Yeah, absolutely horrible. And, um, but today, we have had such a response on Facebook for the picnic. I think, Kayla, what we have? 6,000 reached or something like that? We got, how many shares did we get? I have no idea what she's saying. I think she said like 55,000 or something like that. I'm pretty sure she said. No, we got like 70 or 80 shares, and uh, there's a lot of people coming. So it's going to be great. We have an opportunity to reach a lot of lost people. And uh, for people that uh, don't come to church on a regular basis, to get a positive experience with our church outside of preaching. And uh, let me tell you something. First impressions matter, do they not? So uh, if you're coming tonight, be extra friendly and just... Show the love of Christ to all these new people that are going to be at our church, you know, so that they can have the same opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that you guys once had. So uh, be mindful of that. But I am so glad to be here today. We are continuing the, I have to stay in the middle, I have to be very careful because it's being live streamed and I walk around a lot. But we're continuing the sermon uh, series in Hebrews and uh, it's been pretty amazing so far. I've learned a lot of stuff in Hebrews, uh, some things that I didn't already know, some things that I've had to study out, but it's been an awesome bunch of weeks, and there's been some interruptions in there with Easter. I shouldn't say it's an interruption, but uh, there's been some times we've had to break up this sermon series, but there have just been some amazing sermons preached. It's been a great help to me. I'm sure it's been a great help to you too. But uh, I've had a good time listening through this series. So uh, preemptively, if you would, if you have your bri- our Bibles today, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. We got a lot of ground to cover before we get there, but I want you all to be ready for it, okay? I'm going to give you plenty of time for that. And then it'll be, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen too. And uh, I didn't start my thing, so that means I got an extra, what, three or four minutes? Isn't that what that means? I think so. <laughs> Well, Tim's probably not too happy about that. So I got to be honest with you guys. Last week, Roger preached Hebrews chapter 4, and I was a bit jealous. Because if I had to pick one of two sermons, it would be between Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 11 is the two sermon series I would have picked. And now I'm not preaching either one of those. So, but I'm a bit jealous. But I'm going to tell you what, Roger did a great job last week preaching that sermon, didn't he? Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, he's a great head pastor, he's a great preacher, and that message was a huge help to me, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the title of this sermon series is Encouragement for the Journey, and luckily Brett gave us some insight on that when he preached on Hebrews chapter 3, but it comes from Hebrews chapter 13, 22, and if I can read my handwriting, I'll read it for you. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. And we learn from Brett, and if I'm wrong, you can correct me later, but we learn from Brett that that comes from three words when you, when you look into the Hebrew. It comes from the word exhortation. It means empathetically urging someone to do something, right? That means identifying with them with empathy and trying to get them to do something because you know where they're coming from. We have admonition, which is authoritative counsel or warning, kind of like a parent does to a child saying, hey, you better not touch that stove, it's hot. And then they do it anyway because we know, us parents, we know that they're going to do that anyway. And then encouragement is the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. That's coming alongside somebody and literally encouraging them. 
So I don't know what other word you would use for that. Motivating them, I don't know. But that is coming along and and encouraging them. So it's so much deeper in 1322 than just to say the action of empathetically urging someone to do something. It means so much more. And that's what I want to do for you today. I want to encourage you, and I want to be a help to you, and show you some things maybe you've never thought about, about Jesus. Because ultimately, Hebrews is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And this is about Jesus being our high priest. Now, when we look at the book of Hebrews, and you guys can answer this, let's be interactive today. Who is the book of Hebrews written to? I promise you this is not a trick question. The Hebrews. Okay, great. You guys are paying attention, and that's awesome. All right, it's written to the Jews, right? And we know that at this time that the Jews are being persecuted. They're, They're really wavering in their faith. They're being subjected to things that they're not very comfortable with. They're just plain having a hard time. Now, traditionally, with my background, I look at, or I've always looked at Hebrews as a corrective book, at actions that people are taking that need to be corrected. But that's not the case, because when we look at the title of this this uh, sermon series through Hebrews, it's encouragement through the journey. If we look at 13.22, it shows that the author of this book was trying to encourage them along the way. So I've been looking at Hebrews wrong for so long. And if you've looked at it like that, you are looking at it wrong too, and you're reading it completely out of context. And I have been for about 12 or 13 years now, something like that. But luckily, God got that right with me. I mean, I have flaws. Can I be transparent with you guys? I have flaws, okay? I know that most of you don't believe that, but I do. My wife would never admit it, you know. But, so I want to preach to you guys and talk to you about, uh, about the subject that Jesus, if I, had to put a, if I had to put a name to it, I'd say Jesus is superior. And he is. And it's not that simple. Just to say Jesus is superior isn't enough. So I've given this sermon series, or sermon that I'm about to do for you guys, three different names, okay? Can we handle that? All right. It's Jesus is superior, Jesus is better, and last but not least, and most importantly, Jesus is more. All right? So let's go ahead and get right into the Word. For those of you that preemptively turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, and it, we'll put it up on the screen. It says this, For every high priest taken from among men, or men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today have begotten thee. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, through, oh, he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you today, Lord, and I want to thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, Lord. 
Lord, I am not feeling very, very strong, Lord, today. Lord, I am feeble. I have nothing in and of myself to offer these people. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ on myself in this place, Lord, in this message. Lord, I ask that you bind the, the hands of Satan, hedge this place about. And Lord, I just ask that you'd have me say all the words that you want me to say, Lord, and, and take me away from myself so I would say nothing that you don't want me to, Lord. I just ask, Lord, that you draw a circle around each and every one of these people so that they could get a touch from you. Thank you for all you do in advance. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. All right. So, so far we've seen that Jesus is superior, right? When we read the first four books of Hebrews, we see that Jesus is superior to the prophets. We see that Jesus is superior to the angels. We see that Jesus is superior to Moses. It speaks to all these things. We see that Jesus is superior to Joshua. But in Hebrews chapter 5, we see that, he, or that Jesus is superior. Jesus is better. Jesus is more than Aaron and the high priest. Now, I want you to keep one thing in mind as I preach. I want you, when I describe high priest to you and their qualifications, because that's where we're going next. I want you to think about Jesus in the back of your mind, okay? And his qualifications, because that's what we're going into right after that. Little spoiler alert for you guys, all right? So, a reoccurring theme in this epistle that we've been given is that Jesus is our high priest. He has been described as a merciful and faithful high priest in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. The high priest of our confession in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. A great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Hebrews 4, 14. A high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, Hebrews 4, 15. Jesus is superior. But I want to talk to you about the qualities required for a high priest. Now, this is Hebrews chapter 1 through 4. And since that's only a small part about what I'm talking today, we're going to run through that real fast and get right to talking about Jesus because there's nothing else worth talking about up here. The qualities required in a high priest. Number one. It is a divine appointment. It says that in verse 1 and verse 4. The work of the high priest involves all things pertaining to God. Now, I don't want you to get confused when I say high priest. I am not talking about a pastor. I am not talking about a preacher. I am not talking about anything in this dispensation outside of Jesus Christ. Because there's no room for a priest in the, in the New Testament dispensation except for Jesus. Because the difference between a pastor and a preacher and a bishop and the things that the Bible calls it and a priest of the Old Testament is, is they offered sacrifices. Men of God today that preach the word of God do not offer sacrifices to God. The sacrifice has already been paid. We don't have to. So we are not priests. Men of God are not priests. The office does not exist anymore outside of Jesus Christ. I just wanted to clarify that for you guys in case anyone was confused on that. But he must offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin pertaining to God. This is the Old Testament Levitical priesthood through the descendants of Aaron, right? He can only God has the authority, has the ability, only God can select a high priest. That is true through the entire Levitical priesthood. Only God gets to select who that high priest is, and that's an appointment for a lifetime. The next thing I want to show you, trying to go through this as fast as I can so I have time to preach about Jesus, is 
They had to have human sympathy. And that's in verses 1 through 3. It says that a high priest is selected from among men. Now, of course, when we think, of course, Josh, everybody knows that a priest is selected among men. Who else would they select him from, right? How many of you guys are thinking that? It's okay, you can be honest. Three of you are thinking that. Thank you for your honesty, you three. But I told you, when you listen to this, you need to be thinking about Jesus Christ in your back of your mind, right? We're going through these qualifications so we can get to Jesus' qualifications. They were selected among men. Why? Because a high priest has to be compassionate. Why does he have to be compassionate? The high priest had to make a distinction between the sins of ignorance and the sins of presumption, which are sins of rebellion. They had to be able to identify with those people that they were making sacrifices to. They had to literally make life and death decisions. They had to be able to be sympathetic to what was going on so they could understand how to do it with Without compassion, there was no point in it because everything is condemnation. And we can't have that. So they had to have sympathy. Next, they had to be subject to weakness. Now that's an easy one because all men are subject to weakness, right? I'm just giving you what it says in verses 1 through 4 here. A high priest who knew his own weakness would be more likely to be understanding of his people. How many of you guys have met somebody in your life that it's all about them? They're prideful, and then when you go to them and you try to tell them a problem, they're like, oh, that's great. I remember when I... How many of you guys know the people I'm talking about? Caleb, don't raise your hand. Of course I'm not that way. But they had to be sympathetic. They had to be compassionate. Remember, think about Jesus when I'm talking about these things. It also explained why the high priest had to offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as the sins of his own people. Do you understand how the the administration of the high priest, what he would have to do one time a year to go into the Holy of Holies, to go past that curtain and go into that place? He would have to offer an offering for himself to cleanse himself of sin before he could bring that that blood in and put it on the mercy seat for the sins, for the atonement for Israel. And you know what else they had to do? Because it was so sketchy to go in there, so scary. Maybe sketchy is not the right word, but so scary to go in there. Did you know that every priest that went in there had a rope tied around their waist? Why do you guys think that was? Yeah, I'm guessing that didn't happen with the first priest he probably sat in there for a year whichever one messed it up first so the rest of them they put a rope around and pulled him out of there i don't know maybe god gave him wisdom to do that for with all of them but one time a year he would go in there and put a band-aid on that sin for an atonement just for that year for one person for an entire lifetime is the only one that got to meet temporarily for a very short time with god for the sins of two and a half three million people at the time That was their relationship. Obviously, there was a need for a greater high priest. A high priest had to be very aware and very intimate with the human condition in order to relate to his people. I mean, the struggle against temptation, they had to understand what that was. They had to experience it in order to be able to relate to them. The high priest was a man for the sole purpose because he had to know what it was to be tempted. Remember, think about Jesus. 
Now let's move on to the good part. All right, I'm done talking about men of the Old Testament. I want to talk about Jesus, right? Let's talk about Christ's qualifications as a high priest. Remember I said Jesus was superior. Jesus was better. Jesus was more, is more, is superior. Is, I shouldn't even say was, should I? I didn't correct myself. Jesus is superior. Jesus is better. Jesus is more. Currently, right now, and every day from now, and every day in the past, Jesus is. But Jesus is also divinely appointed but i'll tell you this jesus appointment was superior christ was divinely called to serve as high priest just as aaron was and we see this in two messianic prophecies in the old testament we see his position as god's son in psalms 2 7 and we see his appointment as a priest after the order of melchizedek in psalms 110 verse 4 so you got to ask me josh who is melchizedek how many guys have heard of melchizedek before how many of you guys have studied out Melchizedek before? Okay, well, don't correct me in the middle of the sermon, okay? You might need to. Melchizedek is such an interesting character in the Bible, you know? Uh, so he was the priest king that Abraham paid tithes and offerings to, right? It's not the first time tithes and offerings were done in the, in the, in the, in the Bible. Does anybody know where the first time was? Somebody yell it out. Anybody? I have no idea what anybody said. But Cain and Abel was the first time that it was done. And that didn't turn out so well, right? But then we see it when Abraham does it, and that does turn out well. So praise the Lord for that. It works good for a sermon, all right? He was a priest king that Abraham paid tithes and offerings to. Did you know that he had no beginning? He had no end. He had no mother and father. He had no children. He had no birth. He had no death. Right? There is no genealogy whatsoever for Melchizedek. And then you start studying out, and you look at what does the name Melchizedek mean? Does anybody know? Roz, you answered last time. You don't get to answer again. Roz got both my questions right. So I had everyone give her a round of applause in the last service. So we're not going to do that again. I'm not going to embarrass you a second time today, Roz. It means king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. And did you know that he was the king of Salem? Do you know what Salem means? Peace. So he's the king of righteousness. You know anybody else by that name? He's the king of peace. We know anybody that's the king of peace? Melchizedek, a lot of people think, is a pre-incarnate Christ. A lot of people think it's a picture of Christ. I'm not going to get into that whole debate with you guys today, all right? I just think he was a, he was a great character in the Bible, and I'm not going to say what I think in here because I don't want to argue with everybody. But he was a perfect picture of Christ. I will say that. He had no beginning, no end, no anything. But as God's son, we see him sitting at the right hand of, the God, of God. It's natural to think that he would be our high priest. Would it not be? Jesus is our high priest. And Jesus' divine appointment was more than man's. It was better than man's. It was far superior than man's appointment. Number two, he was sympathetic, but more. Jesus' sympathy was far superior to that in the high priest. Now, how do I know that? 
It says, while in the days of his flesh he offered prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears. What does vehement mean? It means fervently. It means that he, he had passion while he was crying with tears over the, over the people, over the things that he was struggling with. Do you know why he was different? Well, I'll tell you why in a minute. He prayed to him who was able to save him from death. And who was that? That was God. He was heard because of his godly fear. Even Jesus Christ had a healthy fear of God in his flesh. That Jesus would have godly fear and offer such prayers shows the extent of his temptations and his sufferings in his flesh. But Jesus was more. What do I mean? We go back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, and you see a high priest of a man was sympathetic to the people. But Jesus was not sympathetic in every situation. He was also empathetic. Do you guys know what the difference between sympathy and empathy is? Does anybody? Well, luckily, if you don't, I have a definition that I've forgotten my slide, so I wrote down on a piece of paper. Sympathy is a feeling and expression of concern for somebody. However, unlike empathy, sympathy does not imply one's feelings for another are based on shared experiences or emotions. Now, empathy is the ability to recognize and share another person's emotions. Listen to me now. I am not implying that the high priest did not have empathy. But I know this. The Bible says that he was tempted in all ways that we are, right? He experienced all things that we do. And I know that Jesus Christ resides inside of me. He is the author and finisher of my faith. I know that everything I feel, that God feels. Every time I hurt, God feels it. Every time I'm sad, God feels it. Every time I'm grieving, every time I experience loss, every time I'm sick, every time everything, God feels it the same as I do because he loves me. And that means that that high priest that may have been able to empathize with a handful of people through similar situations, God, Jesus Christ, is able to empathize with every single situation that we've ever been in. So he is superior to that priest. There is not one thing that you could ever go through that Jesus doesn't understand. There is not anything that you can experience that Jesus has not or will not experience. Jesus is superior. Jesus is better Jesus is more next he's the author of our eternal salvation can I get an amen for that amen. amen right he's the author of our eternal salvation perfected by the virtue of his sufferings in the flesh he has become the author of eternal salvation now the word author is an interesting word when you look it up in the Hebrew it's a I don't know if I'm saying that right. Somebody probably knows. But it literally means cause. He is not just the initiator like an author. He is the finisher. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Not only does he start it, not only does he end it, but he's through it the entire way. He's there every step of your life. He is the one not only that starts it, not only that finishes it, but he's the one that holds it. So if you think you can lose your salvation, if you think you can do something bad enough that you're going to lose it, it's not possible because you're not the one holding it. Jesus is. Let me just correct that theology right now. You can't lose your salvation because you're not the one holding it. If you were the one holding it, that means you did something for it and you didn't. Jesus paid it all. The author of our... I almost went to the next one. <laughs> Later we will see how Christ is the cause and 
of our salvation in Hebrews 7, when whoever preaches Hebrews 7. Not that I'm being prophetic, but that's a pretty big part of that chapter. But for now, note that he is the cause of our salvation for those who obey him. Now, that is in Hebrews chapter 5. For those that obey him. So let me ask you this. Is obedience necessary for salvation? I got no's, I got yeses. What do you guys think? Okay, good. That's good. It is, obviously. It is important. But, let me ask you this then. Does that mean it's a work salvation? Because what are you being obedient to? The gospel of Jesus Christ is what you're being obedient to. You're being obedient to the call of God because the Bible says that no man can come to me in which the Father which has sent me draw him. When God does that drawing and you hear the gospel, you're supposed to be obedient to that call. That's what it's talking about. If you don't obey that call, you can't get salvation. That's what that obedience is talking about. It says in a, several verses, it says that in Hebrews and several other places in the New Testament, it says Jesus will bring vengeance on those who have not obeyed the gospel. Second Thess- or Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. Paul sought to bring about the obedience to the faith among all nations, Romans 1, 5. But not all have obeyed the gospel, Romans 10, 16. Yet he was grateful for those who had obeyed, Romans 6, 17. Those who had obeyed the truth had purified their souls, 1 Peter 1, 22. Obedience is an important part of salvation and necessary. So now let's move on to verse 10. The order of Melchizedek. Now you can say, well, that doesn't make much sense. (laughs) Why does Melchizedek have to do with qualifications? According to the order of Melchizedek, here we begin to learn the distinct nature of Christ's priesthood. Because the, the Levitical priesthood was flawed because of man's sin, Jesus couldn't be part of that. There had to be another thing to go to. As prophesied in Psalm 110:4, the Messiah would be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's where the author at Hebrew 5 goes back to his, Hebrew, or his, his Psalms 110, verse 4. His priesthood would be different from the Arianic or Levitical priesthood. It would be a superior priesthood. It would be a better priesthood. It would be more than that priesthood. I just want to tell you that Jesus is more. And he means more to me every day. But for the moment, the author has established Christ's qualifications as high priest. And he was a divinely appointed. He was sympathetic because of his own sufferings. And that makes Jesus suitable as the author of our eternal salvation. But don't forget, he is the author of our salvation to those who obey him, which we'll get to in a minute. But Jesus is more. In every situation, Jesus is more. When you're sick, when you get a diagnosis that is bad and the doctors don't know what to do, we find out that Jesus is a great physician and he's more than the doctors. When you're hurting and you need a friend, Jesus is more because he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. When you're stuck in sin, Jesus is more because he's your advocate with the Father. When you can't make ends meet, Jesus is more because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Jesus is more. When you're struggling and you don't know what to do, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He knows what to do. He will guide you. 
He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end, the first and the last. He's the Lord Almighty. He's Jehovah. He's the bread of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's Abba, Father. Let me tell you something, Christian. Jesus is more. And if I wanted to list all the names of God, I looked them up yesterday. I found 915, and I promise you in other languages, there's tens of thousands more. And Jesus is every one of those things. But the greatest gift of all is not that Jesus is more. It's that he thought more of you. Listen to me now. He thought more of you than he did himself. He thought more of you than to leave you in your helpless state that you're in right now, destined for hell. I'm talking to the people that aren't saved in this room. He thought more of you than to leave you in your stagnation and just let you go. So maybe God put something in your life to bring you closer to him. He did not want to leave you where he is because he loves you. Just as if my son or my daughter transgressed, I'm going to put something in there to make them do better because God loves us that much not to leave us where we are. He thought more of you than he did himself and he provided a perfect sacrificed not a temporary band-aid on sin so they can have a very minute meeting with god he provided a perfect atonement for sin so that any moment of any day i can crawl in the lap of god at the throne of grace at god's feet i can do that because of that perpetual atonement because jesus thought more of me than he did himself i know when i was on that cross he had the name josh ross in his mind he had every one of our names on his mind and despite the the fact that I'm not good he is good and he it didn't matter what I did it's about what he did not because I was good enough because he was so good because he is so much more because he is so superior because he is so much better because of that he thought more of me than he did himself it's not something that we can relate to because we're not God it's all so you would have the opportunity just to accept his sacrifice. You see, a high priest would have to offer those sacrifices over and over and over again just to, sin, just to cover up a little bit of sin with God. But it would never have an end. But Jesus offered more. He offered himself, he offered his own blood, and he offered his life, even though he didn't have to. He was obedient to his death upon the cross. So that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. And all you have to do today is accept him. It's not enough to believe. I hear so often people call themselves believers, and it's a pet peeve of mine. Why? Because even Satan is a believer. I'm not a believer, I'm a Christian. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's not enough to believe, you have to accept Lots of people go to hell with a head knowledge and a belief of God, but they miss heaven by 18 inches because they never got a heart knowledge. They never had God move into their heart. I want to tell you this. Now, you may not like this, but I'm doing this out of love. If you don't have a moment in your life that you can go back to where you got saved, based on the authority of the Bible and Scripture, I don't believe you're saved. 
Somebody as big as God cannot move into your heart and you not remember. I'm not saying like mine, I got saved July 25th, 2010. I can show you the exact spot. I'm not asking for a date. I'm not asking for a time. I'm not asking for longitude, latitude, and email address, anything like that, okay? What I'm saying is, if there is not a specific moment where you surrendered, where you broke in front of God and said, God, I can't do it on my own. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. If you don't have that moment based on the authority of scripture I don't believe you're saved it's not enough to say I've been in church my whole life so I'm saved it's not enough to say I'm baptized so I'm saved it's not enough to say well I've always been saved I've heard that a whole bunch of times there has to be a time and a place where God moved in on you where God drew you and you accepted him as your Lord and Savior I promise you I'm not trying to be mean I love you enough to tell you that But it's as simple as this, Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13, that if thou, sh- you guys know this one, right? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord ble- or Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever, who's whosoever? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall. Does that mean might? Does that mean probably? What does shall mean? will can God lie so if God said it then it's true right for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved does that mean in your own time no it doesn't because no man can come to me unless the father which has sent me draw him so if you're feeling that today if you're questioning and if you are thinking about it at all I promise you you're not reprobate that is God drawing you and you need to get that right today And I'm not talking about after the service. I'm not talking about when you get home. God only draws you for a season. What's the thing about seasons, everybody? They end. God might only give you five minutes today. He may give you a couple hours. Who knows? But I wouldn't want to be risking my eternity on on a thing that I'll do it later. Because let me tell you, friends, later never comes. If you need to get that right, Brett is in the back, Bob is in the back, my wife is in the back, Kayla, Roz is in the back. There's a whole bunch of people in here that can help you with that. And I wouldn't care if it was in front of a million people on national television. If I knew I needed to get that right, I'd go. Because my eternity is not worth any amount of embarrassment that I think it will be. So if you need to get that right, now is the time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I want to thank you, Lord, for being such an amazing God. Lord, I want to thank you for your righteousness, your perfection, Lord, the standard that we attain to, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for just being you. And Lord, I ask you to bring conviction on people, Lord, that aren't saved here, Lord. Please give them that gift, Lord. Please draw them as you once drew me and so many of these people, Lord. Thank you for that free gift of salvation. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. Thank you. For just being you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.